Okay, we uh, are going to be Joshua 24 tonight, very last chapter. And Joshua knows that he's soon to die. And the last chapter that we did, chapter 23, he was uh, reiterating that and he's saying it again. There's an important thing that he must do. And what he has to do is call the people of Israel to reassemble at Shechem. Do you remember Mount Ebal, the blessing and the cursing? That's where Shechem is at. If you had a map in your Bible, you would. Uh, you'd, that's what I wished I had visually. There's so many different things I could be trying to use here. I can't draw a map, so <laughs> you don't want me to do that. But what we can do is see that Shechem is in that area, and that's where they uh, renewed the covenant with Yahweh. That was out of Joshua 8 in verse 30 through 35. He was renewing a covenant. Now, if you can't get anything else out of out of today. Here's what it is. And we're going to simplify this. It's about renewing the covenant. Renewing the covenant with the people. Um, And he's the mediator. Joshua is the mediator of this covenant that goes back to Moses, really. Moses was the mediator of the Mosaic covenant, right? Mount Sinai, everybody remember that? And Moses was the one who brought the law to the people. And it's really basically a lot of the law. You have blessing and cursing in Joshua a lot, right? Hey, if you if you follow my commandments, what will happen to you? You'll be blessed. If you disobey my commandments, what will happen to you? The curse. So at Mount Ebal, Mount Gerizim, you had the blessing and the cursing. And all the people were there. And it was really a, a renewing of the covenant at that time. Now, Joshua is going to remind them again that they are to renew the covenant with God as he prepares to die and they're getting ready to enter in into a new redemptive history because they had Moses, they had Joshua. Now, we know what happens after Joshua. What's the next book? Judges. How does the flow of Judges go? They... Exactly. It's up and down. They obey. God blesses. Then they disobey. And it's over and over and over, isn't it? Constantly. And that's exactly what he's talking about. He wants the people to be blessed. So this covenant renewal uh, ceremony is a fitting end to a life of a man who was really faithful. He was a great godly man, a biblical hero, tremendous uh, leader that he was, uh, being the covenant mediator, and he's the one that led them. He was in right at you know, the plains of Moab and then across the Jordan River. Well, they got in across the Jordan River. You know, they went right on into Canaan, and of course they what destroyed what's the first city? What's the walls that came down? Jericho. Jericho. And then, of course, AI, they failed, and then they won there. And then it was history from there on out. They went and conquered the southern uh, area, went on up and conquered the northern area. So in a few years, they had basically conquered the land. Not all of it, but really close. And Joshua has a fear. His greatest fear is this. And we saw it last week. That a future generation of Israel would become tempted and enamored with the uh, pagan religious way of life 
the worship that they had, the idolatry. And uh, last week we were mentioning they had gotten into one time uh, intermingling, mixing in the marriage with the pagan people. And uh, that was a catastrophe. So this entire chapter is structured around a covenant renewal ceremony. And I know this sounds really big and a lot of big words here. That's what I want to do with the board here for just a moment. Um, we're going to review the history of Israel really here in this chapter tonight. And we're going to go all the way back to Abraham, who was the one that really was the uh, part of that covenant that was even before the Mosaic Covenant. There's two covenants going here. And the Mosaic Covenant did not replace the Abrahamic Covenant. The Abrahamic Covenant is the covenant of grace. And the Sinaitic Covenant, or Moses' Covenant, is of law. You would think of the Ten Commandments and the Levitical laws and all of that. And uh, so a lot of uh, rules, right? And so you have blessings and cursings going on there. And uh, what what Joshua wants to do before he dies is to ratify God's covenant promise with an affirmation uh, uh, for the people to intend to serve the Lord. Matter of fact, we have a key verse in this uh, tonight. It's the title that I have on this. What is it? As for me, there we go. And so, that's what they want to do. And this generation that's there basically have been doing it. All the ones before their uh, fathers, their great-grandfathers, had failed out in the wilderness those 40 years. This generation comes in, is obedient, conquers the pagans, they take over the land, and he's afraid of what might happen. Now that sets us up. Okay, so... What I want to do for a moment, I don't, I don't think I want to move this. Maybe you can pick up the uh, audio, but I'll do this real quick. Uh, what you have, remember I was talking about the Abrahamic covenant? Mm-hmm. And that is a covenant that is of grace. Do you remember where God says, I will do this. I will, he makes promises. Uh, in those promises, he says, uh, there will be, you'll be a people. There will be a seed that comes from you, Abraham. So seed. And they will become a nation. So the seed, nation, and he also promises them land. That's a part of that covenant. That's what that covenant is about. It was all promise. And it says in Romans 4, Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him as righteousness. In the Genesis 12, Genesis 15, that area, Abraham believes God. God tells him, you know, know, your seed will multiply as the sand on the seashore is. A lot of people. Become a nation. Guess what? Joshua has just showed us that the fulfillment of the land is there. That's it. That's what we've been seeing all through Joshua and the conquest from 13 through 21, somewhere around that area. They got it. That's what God promised Abraham. This is the first time they got that name. That's right. This is it. 
And it only took about six, seven years, maybe. Something like that. I mean, pretty incredible considering what they got. But God promises, and God always comes through. Did he, who did he promise it to? Abraham. Who else did he promise to? Well, I. Who else? Jacob. The twelve tribes of Jacob. He's been promising all the way through. Here's Moses then. Moses gets a covenant. And it uh, demands works. They're all good. The, the law is good. Only thing is, the law cannot save. Never has saved, never will. Anybody who breaks this covenant deserves death and hell. And that's why we are in the nature that we are. Because none of us can follow this law. And it proved to the, the people of Israel, despite all the things that he did, it proved what? Proved that they couldn't be good. This is the only way we can be good. And it's grace, saved by grace through what? Faith. Faith. Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. As a whole, the nation failed. They couldn't follow it. They couldn't follow any of those commandments. God finally brought his judgment on them. Today, it's the same way. We can't follow those Ten Commandments. Only in Christ who fulfilled it, and that's how we're saved by grace. So there's where the faith comes in. These two covenants are very different. Need both. This came in 2000 B.C. Mosaic Covenant, I'll make it just simple, 500 years. 1500 B.C. Mosaic Covenant did not replace the Abrahamic Covenant. Thank the Lord. That still exists. What does the word covenant mean? Covenant, very good question. Covenant is something back then that really meant something to uh, the people. Back in the biblical days, whether you were God's people or not, people would make covenants, an agreement. Matter of fact, that agreement was binding. It wasn't one of those things where you could take it to court and battle over it a few years later and make it come out the way that you want. It was that this is the way it's going to be from here on out. And it cannot be changed. Well, what God did, God's name is Yahweh, Jehovah, God, whatever you want to call Him there, but that name in itself means the self-existing one. The self-existing one decides to have a covenant made with His people. Here's what I'm going to do. Here's what you do. A covenant is a two-way agreement. It's almost like saying, I'm going to make a deal. Yeah. Like your covenant, like we're going to make a deal. It's a binding, yeah. It's a binding relationship. Okay. So, it, it, and so, yeah, we've, we're making a deal here. And God has always kept His part. He's faithful. But the Mosaic Covenant shows that we don't keep our part, do we? But He always does. If there's not an Abrahamic Covenant, we have to go by the Mosaic Covenant, we're all doomed. We're left in our sins without forgiveness. Abrahamic covenant will be developed as later on in the prophets will talk about a new covenant. And then when Christ comes, 
he says, take my body, eat, you know, uh, eat this, and, and drink this blood. This is the new sign of the new covenant. You know, that was the Lord's Supper that was being established. Christ fulfills the covenant. He fulfilled the law. And we're no longer uh, bound by that law, although it does drive us to Christ. What does it do? It shows us our sin. Have you guys ever had that problem? When you came to Christ, or Christ came to you, what happened? You were a sinner. You were lost in your sins. Dead in your transgressions. And whenever you have a new covenant that God makes, He says, I will do this. And uh, in Ezekiel, it talks about uh, a new covenant there. Jeremiah, the new covenant in Jeremiah 31. So, using that word, you don't hear it taught a lot, but that's what the Bible is all revolved around. Here is a self-existent one that makes a covenant with mankind. Don't you guys think that's incredible? We're covenant breakers. <laughs> yeah, we are covenant breakers. We're not promise keepers, are we? We, we are promise breakers. Um, just for interesting sake, look at Genesis chapter 12. Uh, you know, whenever I was talking about I will, here's what God is doing with Abram. It says, And I will make you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great. And so you shall be a blessing and I will bless those who bless you. And the one who curses you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. You know what that is? That's us. Ha ha. We will be blessed. As a matter of fact, in Galatians, for instance, it talks about our father Abraham in the sense that we're not Jews, but we're the Gentiles who have believed we have the Abrahamic promise, don't we? <laughs> we have that promise that goes back to Abraham. So, is that that fire alarm? Yeah. Oh, I <laughs> That's what that is. I knew that was familiar. Thank you, Val. Appreciate that. You're going to need a new battery. Yeah. <laughs> I believe so. I'll just leave it. Can I take this up there so you guys don't forget no, it? I'll take, put it in my purse. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you very much. Appreciate that. See? That was easy to do. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, no. Charles was wired in and then we just turned it out. <laughs> yeah. So, anyway, Genesis 15 could be another one we go to, but we need to really get to our text here. But... With this understanding and the difference between the two, the law will drive you to Christ. It'll show your sin and what? Drive you to Christ. If, if you're His, right? And the Abrahamic covenant is what God does. So Joshua shows a lot of the Mosaic covenant in that he is ratifying this. He's renewing it. He's the mediator. Moses was the mediator of the covenant. He's renewing this. But at the same time, it's pointing to what is Joshua's name? What does it mean? Yeshua. Yahashua. Which means what? God saves. That's the name that Joshua means. And he is a picture of the deliverer, the great captain who will ultimately come and be the mediator of the new covenant. 
Do you see the beauty of that? Actually, this should have been at the end. And this is how we would close it. But if you get that understanding, now as we go through this, and we'll go through it pretty quickly, I think it will really help us now. Does that help? When we use the word covenant and mediator and that kind of thing, he mediates this, of this renewal. He's a continuation of who? Moses. Joshua keeps it going. So, uh, anyway, we uh, go to Joshua now, chapter 24. And this is why, even if you jump in on a last chapter of a study, really, it doesn't matter. Because right here, it really gives us a really good picture of the Old Testament. In a few short verses, you'll get a good handle on what it's about. I kid you not. It's beautiful. Uh, Let's have a word of the Lord. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for your truth and your word. And as we prepare to get enlightened by your truth here as we read it, that your spirit will speak to us and will have understanding of what your plan is and how we too are to uh, not only obey the Lord, but to enjoy obeying him. In Jesus' name, amen. Kind of interesting as I, I look up there and it just fades off. I had a setting where it'd be like uh, four hours. Somehow it got knocked off. I don't know how. I've got water here somewhere. I am dry. Okay. First one, uh, when you have a covenant, okay, and I'm glad you asked that question, covenant, because I almost blew it and didn't even explain that, which is the most important thing there, John. So that was a good question. That's, that's, uh, and they're all good. That helps. That helps us, all of us understand. Yeah, this is interesting. This, this, even this first verse, I could spend a half hour on. And I'm tempted to. Then Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem. Remember that? Called for the elders of Israel and for their heads and their judges and their officers, and they presented themselves before God. Who's he gathering? All the tribes this time. Not just the elders, but all the people are gathering. Joshua's going to be dying. Okay, when you have a covenant, you have a preamble to it. A preamble... uh, and, and part of this, of course, the covenant is dealing with two parties, right? Okay, so Joshua summons the people to Shechem. Now, they had been there before. Don't have time, but in Joshua 8, verse 30 through 34, you'll see Shechem, or that area, mountain, Ebal, and the blessing and the cursing. They had been there before. Well, guess what? They're there again. Now, you know what's interesting? And I know that clock is ticking. But I cannot resist the fact, let's trace through what's the big deal about Shechem. We've heard it all of our lives, haven't we? Everybody's going, not really. (laughs) Okay, what's the big deal about Shechem? Go to Deuteronomy 27. We're going to make this one a quick one here. In Deuteronomy 27, we're not going to read the whole chapter. We're just going to show you, get our bearings here. This is the cursing of Mount uh, of Ebal, right? And so if you look in uh, 27, you'll notice as you go through there that you have the cursings, especially when it starts in about 15. 
uh, in 14, 13 it says, For the curse, these shall stand on Mount Ebal, Reuben, Gad, and Asher. There's the tribes. 15, he says, Cursed is the man who makes an idol. 16, Cursed is he who dishonors. You just keep on going down. All the way through the rest of the chapter, Curse it, curse it, curse it. You're cursed. You're damned. If you don't keep law. What is the law? The first five books. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. We're right in the heart of it here. Okay, chapter 28. Without further ado, blessed are. Blessed, 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 blessed. If you obey, you're blessed. Okay, no problem there, right? Where were they at? Well, they're, they're at uh, Ebal and Gerizim. They are at Shechem. Oh, that's significant, isn't it? Now, go back to Genesis chapter 12. This gets fascinating. I love this. You guys ready? Genesis 12, 6 and 7. Abram passed through the land as far as the site of Shechem to the oak of Moreh. Now, the Canaanite was then in the land. Of course, Joshua's going to drive him out. About 500 years later, right? Something like that. 600. What? What do we have here? Shechem, right? Oh, what's chapter 12 about? That's the covenant. Are you getting it? And where does Joshua take him? Who, he was, you know, right underneath Moses, right? He takes them right back to where Moses had taken them, or, or uh, Abram had taken them. Remember that? Remember the Abrahamic covenant? <laughs> okay. They uh, reissued that covenant when he, uh, Joshua took the people to Shechem earlier. And now he's doing it again, renewing the covenant. Okay. Go to chapter 35 of Genesis, verses 2 through 4. So Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, Put away the foreign gods which are among you and purify yourselves and change your garments and let us arise and go up to Bethel and I'll make an altar there to God who answered me in the day of my distress and has been with me wherever I've gone. Uh, so they gave to Jacob all the foreign gods which they had and the rings which were in their ears and Jacob hid them under the oak which was near Shechem. All, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Jacob, uh, he's taking the idols, the foreign gods there, the rings and the stuff that they had, and they're, that they're taken care of there under this oak. And Abram, Abraham, in that area in Genesis 12, mentioned at the oak. Probably the same thing there. Do you guys find that fascinating? Okay, one more thing. Joshua 24, verse 32. There was a, a key person during the time of Egypt who led, actually was like the right-hand man to the Pharaoh there. What was his name? Joseph. Mm -hmm. Joseph. Uh, he died there in Egypt. But what was his desire? Whenever he died, we gave him ready to die. What did he say? Take my bones with you when you go into the land. 
Take it. And where does he go? Where is he going to take the bones? <laughs> Isn't this fascinating? Link it together. Now they buried the bones of Joseph, which the sons of Israel brought up from Egypt at Shechem, in the piece of ground which Jacob had bought from the sons of Hamor, the father of Shechem, for one hundred pieces of money, and they became the inheritance of Joseph's sons. So a lot of history here that is really tied onto that. The Bible is history. It's his story, isn't it? And those are significant pieces there. I had to get that in. Okay, now we go back to Joshua 24.1. The people are there, and right at the end of verse 1, they presented themselves before God. What's that mean? It means there's major things coming. They're presenting themselves before God. The only other time prior to this that you see that happen is in Exodus 19. What's Exodus 19 close to? Exodus 20, which is the Ten Commandments. And in 19 is where you have Mount Sinai. And it's fear and thundering and... All sorts of noise going on. The people are scared to death there, right? 1917. And Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God or to present themselves before God. And they stood at the foot of the mountain. So that was back at the time of Moses. Now Joshua has them at Shechem. And what's he doing? These are two mountains. Mount Sinai is law. The two mountains in, at Shechem and in that area are law and grace. <laughs> isn't that beautiful? The pictures of that is incredible, isn't it? So, we've seen the preamble here in verse 1 in this covenant renewal. Um, it's about an act of worship. Now, a covenant also has a prologue. You have a preamble, you have a prologue. We have a lawyer right here, and she knows all about law. Some of these things probably would sound somewhat familiar, wouldn't they, Audrey? So the prologue, and in this sense, Joshua begins this covenant renewal with recounting history of God's covenantal dealings. He made a covenant with Abraham, didn't he? That they were going to go into the land, they were going to take it. And they did. God first called who? Abram, right? Away from a foreign land. So let's read that, verse 2. Joshua said to all the people, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, from ancient times, your fathers lived beyond the river. Namely, Terah, the father of Abraham, and the father of Nahor, and they served other gods. So, was Abraham a believer in the one true God? No, not at all. No. Not this time. Then I took, and look what it says here. Then I took your father Abraham from beyond the river. I took him and led him through all the land of Canaan and multiplied his descendants and gave him Isaac. So there we have Abraham Abraham was seeking God? He wasn't seeking God, was he? He wasn't after Him. That's right. He came from a pagan family. 
this was the Ur of the Chaldees. But he takes him to the land of promise. Did he ever get that land? No, not really. He just bought pieces of land where he could bury his folks. Joshua says God took Abraham and led him. And remember the promise. There will be descendants. There will be a nation. And there will be land. God came through. Here it is. Read Joshua. There it is. It's right there. You know what? The people are standing there. I'm telling you, they have to have chills going down their back with this going on. It doesn't say that here, but this is awesome. He takes them back to Abraham. That's where he starts this. Who else would you start with, right? So that was the call of Abraham. Well, um, by the way, the history of the dealings between the two parties, if we keep on, if we read down through verse 5, what you have is from Genesis 11, right at the end of Genesis 11, through Exodus 15. Exodus 15 is where they have the Song of Moses, and they, they went over, uh, they went through the river, right? Without a river being there, or not the sea, I'm sorry. This, this was the Red Sea. This wasn't the, Jer- uh, the, what? The Jericho River. What am I thinking of? Okay. Uh, what is it? Jordan. Jordan River. Too many J's here tonight. Okay. Yeah, thanks. Okay. Then, um, verse 4. To Isaac I gave Jacob. So you have Abraham, you have Isaac, Jacob. It goes right on down the line, right? And to Esau, which is a brother of Jacob. He's not the blessed one, though, is he? I gave Mount Seir to possess it. But Jacob and his sons went down to Egypt. We know why they went down there. There was a what? A famine. Joseph is the one, though, that God blesses through all that, through sovereign ways. Then I sent Moses. Now we've gone from Jacob and Egypt. You think Joseph, but Moses now. And Aaron, and I plagued Egypt. We know about the ten plagues by what I did in the midst. And afterward I brought you out. I brought you out. So you have the call of Abraham. Now you have the call of Moses. And guess what? We have gone all the way now from (laughs) Genesis 11, Exodus 15, um, in verses 6 through 13, we're going to go from Exodus 12 all the way to Joshua 22. In just a few short verses, you ready? Here we go. I hey, Avel, can you help? You've been very good at reading here lately. That helped my throat. You're good. Starting at six. Six through thirteen. Then I brought your fathers out of Egypt, and you came to the sea, and the Egyptians pursued your fathers with chariots and horses to the Red Sea, and when they cried to the Lord, I put darkness between you and the Egyptians, and made the sea come up come upon them, and covered them. And your eyes saw what I did in Egypt, and you lived in the wilderness a long time. Then I brought you to the land of the Amorites, who lived on the other side of the Jordan. They fought with you, and I gave them into your hand. And you took possession of their land, and I destroyed them before you. Then Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab, arose and fought against Israel. And he sent and invaded Balaam, the son of Beror, to curse you. But I would not listen to Balaam. Indeed, he blessed you. So I delivered you out of his hand. 
and you went over the Jordan and came to Jericho. And the leaders of Jericho fought against you, and also the Amorites, the Perizzites, and the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Gishites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And I gave them into your hand, and I sent the hornet, yeah, hornet before you, which drove them out before you. The two kings of the Amorites, it was not by your sword or by your bow. I gave you a land on which you had not hmm. labored, and cities that you had not built, and you dwell in them. You eat the fruit of the vineyard, the olive orchards that you did not plant. Ah, we know about that first, don't we? You, we have that one in this chapter. We have, as for me and my house, I will serve the Lord. You know what? This is one of the grandest chapters in all of Joshua. You know, you, you start looking at this and you're seeing a good picture of the history of, really, a lot of the Bible, of the Old Testament. You go all the way, it just, what he just read, we went from Exodus 12, where they went, what? Over the, through the Red Sea, right? We came to the Red Sea, God delivered them there, and that was like the Passover, Exodus 12, and all the way up through Joshua uh, to almost where we're at here, chapter 22. The conquest and then coming into the land and being at, at peace with it. God did all this. He drove all of the enemies out. You know, I like that hornet. You're probably saying, what's the hornet? That that uh, well, like the hornet that's in verse 12, I sent the hornet before you and it drove out the two kings. Yeah. It's, really, it's really God doing even though they have an army and Joshua's a great leader, God uses them, but who's really doing it? God's doing it. Remember the day the sun stood still? Remember that one? You know, the long day that they were able to have and go and conquer all the, the different yeah. nations and such on that one long day. And God did that, didn't He? Through miracles and everything that was going on. It was all God <laughs> delivering them. So you have uh, now... You have Abraham, you have Jacob, right? Now that seemed like long in the past to them. It's hundreds of years. But what does he do here in what we just read? Now it's the events of Egypt. And you know what? That just goes back to maybe their great-grandparents. Uh, they were children and grandchildren of the previous generation who had lived in Egypt. Now that's close history now, isn't it? If you had a grandpa that had been in Egypt, boy, you'd know all about it, wouldn't it? Even if you didn't live there, you would know quite a bit about it. It's like uh, meeting somebody who's lived in Vietnam. How does, uh, exactly. How does the Good. Bible correlate to the pyramids now? That wasn't in the same... Uh, were the pyramids B.C. or A.C.? It was B.C. Um, actually, the children of Israel probably had a lot to do with that. That's what I have heard. They had to... Uh, they were probably in on that. They built a lot of things, and they were they were slave labor. What's that? Egypt became a common government after the uh, pyramids. Um, I think you got me. I mean, just normal. I, well, it, they didn't use the pyramids anymore. They were abandoned, right? Well, the pyramids. They say that that's a tomb. Right? A pyramid or a tomb where they put the kings and the king's so, treasures and stuff. So 
It's not like they didn't, I don't think they used the pyramids to... Uh, Wait, they live in villages? I mean, that was my question. Yeah, they had their cities like Memphis in Egypt there. Uh, okay. And, okay. But, yeah, they, I mean... Like houses and huts and stuff? Okay. They had the river and everything? All right. I was just curious. Yeah, they live real close to the Nile because it's a very desert area. was B.C. Yeah, that's B.C., right. Okay. And at this time that we're talking about now, Joshua, let's say around 1400 B.C., it's before they even have kings. It's before they even had judges. They've just taken the land. That's what's happened now. Joshua has been their leader. Things will change now. Because after this, then they will have judges. And uh, you have good ones, you have bad ones. Later on, you have the kings... You have good ones, you have bad ones. Mostly bad. (laughs) Ten tribes, they were all bad. In Judah, you had a few good ones. David was the king of those kings. So, you had the call of Joshua then. It mentions the Amorites. God was faithful, wasn't He? Joshua led them through the wilderness. uh, Through Moab, the very border of Canaan. And uh, in these verses where it mentions where Joshua is leading there. It summarized what happened in Numbers 21 through 24 because um, actually in these verses, Joshua is kind of bringing it all together and Yahweh, or God, uh, refused to put a curse on Israel. Uh, And that's why he's talking about Balaam. Everybody knows about Balaam. Balaam was uh, was a prophet for hire. He wasn't from the Jews, but he knew about the true God and he knew a lot of good things about him. and But he was offered money by an enemy nation that Israel was going through. And he, he wanted, uh, the leader there wanted um, uh, Balaam to curse Israel. That they wouldn't be able to continue on. Well, God didn't let that happen. And, uh, of course... Uh, Joshua organized the armies of Israel all about that time and prepared them to take on the Canaanites whenever they did go into the land of Canaan. So Joshua counts in 11 through 13 the Israel's entrance into the land of Canaan. They're there. That's the land of promise. So we did number one. It was the first 13 verses. We had seven minutes. All right. Carolyn gives me some D to caffeinate me. So that I can really get speed it up here. Are we following this though? Isn't that easy? Abraham, Isaac, Jacob—they're all given that promise that Abraham had. Matter of fact, all the people are given that same promise, even when they were in Egypt. And then they were led out forty years in the wilderness. Finally, go into the land. Joshua helps deliver the people to victory. Now. In 14 through 24, this is where Israel is willing to do as God commanded. As for me and my house, right? Okay, uh, let's take... Uh, Avril, can I call on you again? Of course. 14 and 15. <laughs> now therefore, fear the Lord and serve Him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your father served beyond the river and in Egypt, and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day who you will serve, 
whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whom led you, whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Ah, we love that one. How many has a picture or a plaque on your wall in your house somewhere? As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Our store used to sell a ton of those. They were one of the favorites. Everybody likes that. If you're of God, you say, I want to serve the Lord. And that's exactly what Joshua says. Did you always wonder, who said that? Got your answer. This was Joshua. Yeah. Beautiful right there, isn't he? He says, okay, fear God. Serve Him in sincerity, truth. Put away the gods. You know what's telling me? They're very near of that happening. Or it could be entering in very quietly at this time here. Or it will be, and we know that, when you get into the next book. Right in Judges 2, we see that things switched quickly on the bad way. So the people of Israel are to renounce the false gods. They're going to be around. They're going to be tempting. And He requires of them according to the first and second commandment. But obeying these commandments actually is to remain in Canaan enjoying the blessings of God. What's chief in the man? To glorify God and enjoy Him forever. So, obeying the law is not a legalistic thing, but it's for our good and our enjoyment. Isn't that beautiful? If they had listened, then they said that the rest of the world would be blessed. Which we have been through the Israelites, but... It would be nice to have that continued blessing. <laughs> yes. Continue obedience, if that were possible. And, of course, in Christ, that's where we find ourselves. But do we still disobey? Yes. One day, it will be impossible to ever disobey God again. Praise God. And we'll love every moment of it. Okay. Now, in Romans 10, 9 and 10, And I'm getting to a verse that I want Joshua sitting with us tonight to read. Okay. Because it has special significance to Josh. I think I'm hitting the right verse. I'm not. You'll see what I mean. In Romans 10, 9, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be disappointed or ashamed. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call on him. Now, Joshua, can you read verse 13? Sure. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Why did I call on you to read that? Well, that is the very first verse that I read when I opened this Bible. Oh. Not too many weeks ago, is it? No, about six weeks ago. Ooh. <laughs> That's exciting, folks. Amen. 
this is exciting. And that that's that meant something to him. Hit you right in the head, didn't it? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. You will be saved. If you call on the name of the Lord, if you confess Jesus as Lord, you'll be saved. That's what it says. It doesn't say if you do this and you do that and you know you be good and you try you no, it doesn't say that. It says call upon the Lord. Now granted, those good things will come with that. And things change, don't they, when you call on the Lord for the good. And you'll have to hear his story one of these days. It is during the time of coronavirus. Amen. <laughs> so there are, are quite a few people that I've heard that have called upon the name of the Lord in the last few weeks in the world, in this nation. And right in our area, that has happened. What? Why did I go there? Because that's what the people are doing here. They're confessing the Lord. Now, we're going to move quickly here. We'll go back to Joshua. We'll go to 16. The people answered and said, and so that what we just read is here, right here. Far be it from us that we for sure forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For the Lord our God is He who brought us and our fathers up out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. Egypt represented sin, bondage. And who did these great signs in our sight and preserved us through all the way in which we went and among all the peoples through whose midst we passed. The Lord drove out from before us all the peoples, even the Amorites who lived in His land. We also will serve the Lord for He is our God. There's a confession. What do we do at church? We confess. We confess our sins. We confess that He has forgiven us. We confess that all the truths of the Scripture. You know, a lot of times we'll we'll do the uh, uh, what the um, congregational confession that we have, and we confess together. That's what church does. They conf- And what does confess mean? Homo legale. Homo same. Legale, speak. It means to say the same thing. It means to agree. When you confess, when you confess your sin, you're agreeing with God, what? I've sinned. God, I'm telling you, I know that I've sinned. Thank you for showing me that. I, I, and I'm agreeing it's sin. But it's also agreeing that all those good things, look at what He had done. The, you know, the Egypt thing, the Amorites and such and we will serve the Lord. That's a confession. So when we confess, we don't have a confessional, do we? We all say it together. It's not a private thing. We're all, but we're all confessing. We're saying, we still sin, Lord. Thank you for forgiveness. Thank you for your grace. Worship is so key, isn't it? So they say, we will worship, we will serve. This was a vow not to forsake God. So, in 19 and 20, Joshua says, be careful what you say when you take a vow. Make sure you know what you're saying. Joshua said to the people, you will not be able to serve the Lord, for He is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions or your sins. What? If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, then He will turn and do you harm and consume you after He has done good to you. He's holy. He's righteous. And yes, He has to take out evil as bad as it seems. What if He lets evil just keep on going? 
Would you like to have evil in heaven? Well, this is not heaven where we live. Evil's still here. But God does wipe it out sometimes. Not totally out, I mean it's here. But certain things He judges. One day He will judge it completely. You know what? The blessing-cursing principle is still in here that Joshua keeps talking about. It's the true purpose of the law. What does the law do? It exposes our sins, and then what? should drive us to seek Him for forgiveness. If we have sin, we say, okay, how do I get rid of it? Well, you can be forgiven of your sins because of the righteousness, not from you, but from who? Christ. Christ is our righteousness. So, if we keep the Mosaic Covenant distinct from the Abrahamic Covenant, then we don't have any problem with the Mosaic Covenant, do we? Mount Sinai, blessing and cursing, and then we see the grace of the Abrahamic covenant that we talked about earlier. Oh, the gravity of renewing this covenant that they had. The law condemns. doesn't save. The law is good, but what does it do? It condemns. It damns people to hell. That's all it can do. It can't save. But Christ saves. And so, in verse 21 through 24, look at their confession here, it is clear. It's a profession of faith. The people said to Joshua, No, but we will serve the Lord. They already said it, and Joshua said, hey, Be careful what you say. And then they come back, No, we will. Now, they're the ones that have been doing it. What's he doing? He's warning them, because he knows what's going to happen. Joshua said to the people, You are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen for yourselves the Lord to serve Him. And they said, We are witnesses. Now therefore, put away the foreign gods which are in your midst and incline your hearts to the Lord, the God of Israel. If you have any foreign gods... You know what that's telling me? They already had some idolatry slipping in. Isn't that amazing? These guys... Their kids, maybe it's their kids that are growing up. So Joshua, look at this, made a covenant with the people that day. That's what we've been talking about all through here, isn't it? Made for them a statute and an ordinance. So a covenant, a statute, an ordinance. Make Sounds say, legal, doesn't it? Make you, sure you say that right, not a statute. Statute. <laughs> In where? Shechem. Now we've learned about Shechem, haven't we? Is it significant? Mm-hmm. Historical it is. And Joshua wrote these words in the book of the law of God. And he took a large stone. Let's stop there. Because of Bell, you always have a a fascination with like, you know, who is the writer of these books. And of course, Joshua wrote this. And he's a mediator of a covenant. If he is a mediator of a covenant, he is also, uh, this is the, the book of the law. That is, that is, he's a covenant mediator. It's his duty to keep a record of what happened. And aren't you glad, as we studied Joshua, that Joshua penned all this down? But whenever he dies, there's a few other verses that are there. Did he write those? No. But some other ones then uh, were able to do that. A record of, of his death. It was kind of a dynasty kind of thing explaining what happened to Joshua. Covenant is made, and guess what? This is not too foreign. He took a large stone. We sound sound like we've heard that before. He set it up there under the oak. The oak. Remember the oak? Abraham, uh, 
Jacob, where he took the idols. Interesting, huh? Probably the same one that was by the sanctuary of the Lord. Joshua said to all the people, Behold, this stone shall be for a witness against us, for it has heard all the words of the Lord which He spoke to us. Thus it shall be for a witness against you, so that you do not deny your God. Then Joshua dismissed the people, each to his inheritance. You know, I kind of wonder if that stone is still there. Just kind of like buried somewhere. Yeah, it's probably, it's not, yeah, I don't think anything that would be visible or people would go up to it, you know, and they'd turn it into a shrine, you know. The Roman Roman church is really good at doing that. But, but that's fascinating. You know, wouldn't it be something that would be, you know, in the kingdom one of these days? You know, and then God says, "Oh, here's that, here's that stone that Joshua put here." You know, that's a nice stone. I think that's the heard God talking. That stone heard. That's right. That's right. It's a witness. Interesting. I did too. How can a stone be a witness? Like the same, you have a living stone following you through the desert, giving you water. Well, it's a you know the memorial stones that they've already put up before, and every time they look at that, they know what that stands for. It's a memorial. It's good to have things to help us remember markers. Memories uh, are idols, kind of like crucifixes or whatever. They just well, that would be what we you know people would have today. That would be one of them. Back then, they would Does have like you feel closer in any way. Huh? Would that be possible? Help you feel a little bit closer? Don't need it. When we have Christ, see, God is spirit. We don't need anything physical to help us because we have the Word of God and the Spirit of God. What happens to people is they cling on to physical things rather than the spiritual aspect. We've got everything that we need. That thing right there is made by hands and we can turn it into an idol. It may not be an idol, but all of a sudden it's our own little worship thing and that's how we feel comfortable because that's there. Now that's turning into depending on something else rather than God. You know? um, can it be there to, to always refresh your mind? It can be. That's and I have to be real careful how you know what I say on there. I'm not saying that one can't have like there are pictures that are just you know gorgeous, beautiful, uh, maybe of a land of Israel or when you're in a dwelling that you live, they somewhat age your in downtimes. In downtimes, they age they age your mind a little bit, maybe. Beautiful pictures. Yeah, as a memory, like you got a picture right behind you there. Right. Like, okay, uh, there's about four of them there. One of them is like, we do we have the cross up there, right? Well, this one with the chariot is pretty pretty, and the cross that's pretty yeah. too. And what are those there? They, you know, they can kind of, uh, kind of remind us. But that's all they can do. I mean, there's nothing there that is worthy of worship. 
it's a it's a piece of artwork that's done well, but it does it, it, it can bring us back to the thoughts of what the truth of the word of God is. So in that yeah. sense, there's no problem with that. And that's what the stone that's what the stone thing was all about to remind them of the vows that they had made before the Holy God that they would not mm-hmm. change their paths away from him. Well, and what do we take? What the Lord's Supper? What are those? In them, in and of themselves, it's a physical thing. The bread, the 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 cup. Does that really have anything uh, worthy in it to be worshipped? Well, of course not. But what does it do? It's there as a reminder. What did Jesus say? As you do this, do this in remembrance of me. It's remembering Christ. So those are our helpful aids to us. And the covenant and remember the covenant that he had with him. Well, when you have opposing forces like a uh, terrorist, they have their, their way of dressing and stuff like that, remembering their thing, which we're not really in touch with, it seems like they want to impose on any... There could be an opposement on anything. Of course, they would impose on anything. They just want to destroy it, right? Yeah. So, what I'm trying to say is... Uh, false God. Yeah, what would that be? A false God? Oh, absolutely. You're talking like Muslims, for instance? Yeah. Yeah. As yeah. false as can be. That's that's from the enemy himself. Yeah, they're calling from the opposite of who Jesus Christ is. For their they are into holy war. They destroy. Satan is the it's destroyer not, of the I murderer. Mean, if it's limited to that type of people, I would say don't get involved with them really besides high and by, right? Well, if you get a chance to bring the truth to them, give them the gospel, that's what we exist for. Fantastic. That's what it's about. Show them love. You know, they have hate, we have love. Okay. And we All desire right. to show them the true God. That's really what it's about. Wow. That's the best love you can have is when you show one who Christ is. Okay, we're right at the end. Are you ready? Uh, you have the fate of Joshua and Eliezer, uh, high priest. Okay, verse 29, It came about after these things that Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died, being 110 years old. And they buried him in the territory of his inheritance in Timnath, Sarah, which is in the hill country of Ephraim on the north of Mount Gaash. I mean, specifically where this is at. This is a historical book. It's real. It's not made up. Some people have their own books and their Bibles and they have locations and places. And there's no place on earth that even exists. But the Bible will be specific in its history. Verse 31, Israel's, here we go, served the Lord. Look at this, folks. All the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who survived Joshua. So it went on a little bit after that. And had known all the deeds of the Lord which he had done for Israel. They made a confession. They meant it. This was one of the peak times of the nation of Israel ever. And then it went out. 32, now they buried the bones of Joseph, which the sons of Israel brought up from Egypt at Shechem, in the piece of ground which Jacob had bought from the sons of Hamor, the father of Shechem, for 100 pieces of money. They became the inheritance of Joseph's sons. And Eliezer, the son of Aaron, you know who Aaron is, right? Moses and Aaron, right? The brother, and there is Eliezer, the high priest. Why did they bring him up? 
all of a sudden he appears, doesn't he? Yeah. And then he disappears. <laughs> and they buried him at Gibeah of Phineas his son, which was given him in the hill country of Ephraim. He would be like a leader of, of their of their worship and such. Yeah, he would probably be a part of one of those elders, huh? He was a high priest. Yeah, he played a key role there. A high priest, that's a big, big role. So, we're right at the end. Sorry it took about 15 minutes extra. I got I started really late and I talked ridiculously <laughs> for that time. Okay, here's what here's what we gotta do. We've got to close this up, and I'll try to do it in about a minute or so. This is the application. You say, okay, that's history. It's neat to learn about history, but how can I be edified by this? Can we be edified by this at all? Has it, have you been edified by this book of Joshua? Amen. Who, why did we do Joshua? Did, nobody even picked it. You did. I guess I did. You picked it out so, I'm throwing it out to you guys. If you've got some ideas... It's not. I'm not saying that I'm going to do it, but throw it out. But uh, we've done it recently. We've had some people ask in our last few studies, and that's what we went with. Okay, now, application, you ready? Number one, the marvelous grace of God. Remember the covenant such? Okay. The people were starting to head down the road to perdition, weren't they? Because he kept saying, hey, I, it's almost like it was already starting there. Idolatry. Uh, it was a testimony to the grace of God that as we look at this, they served God during the time of Joshua and during the time of the elders. By the grace of God, that's the reason they could serve God. Number two, we had Josh read that verse 13 of Romans 10. In Romans 10, 9 and 10 also, this is an Old Testament equivalent of the profession of faith that's spelled out in Romans 10. Christian worship really is based upon that when we gather together. On the Lord's Day, for instance, we're participating in a covenant renewal ceremony. What we just went through is what we do every week. We're renewing the ceremony uh, that we have as Israel did at Shechem. It's, but we have the new covenant promises in its fulfillment. It's through Christ that we are found righteous. And we're not under the Sinaitic covenant, Mount Sinai. We affirm, we confess that Jesus is Lord, don't we? Amen. We even sing it. and We say we want to serve the Lord. By His grace, we do. That was two things, right? Marvelous grace of God. It's about confession. Confessing every day and then confessing with other people. There's something about God. We're getting with God's people now. Number three, and this is it. The new covenant is the fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant of grace. Abrahamic covenant in all of its fullness and all of its glory. The new covenant is what the Abrahamic covenant was pointing to. And I want you to get this. Jesus is the greater Joshua. Because Jesus' name is related to Joshua's name, Yahashua, Yeshua, or Jesus in the English. He is, Joshua was a picture of the greater Joshua to come who uh, renewed that covenant. He gave us the new covenant. We, we affirm, we confess that 
uh, our sins have been removed by Christ at the cross. And we affirm that we serve the Lord. We confess our sins. We know that we receive the promise of forgiveness because of the cross. We confess our faith publicly in the words of what is based upon the truth. Let's pray. Father, thank You for this evening and a precious, precious Word of God that we have looked at. It's really profound. And the wisdom that is there, Lord, is way beyond what I can imagine. Lord, I have fallen short so much in bringing out the depth of the truth here. We pray that Your Spirit would impress it upon all of our hearts tonight. And uh, we give You all the glory. Uh, Thank You in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I do want to say thank you, Joshua, and for coming out for the book of Joshua. And thank you, Audrey, for coming out. It has been a pleasure to have you the last two meetings. And... uh, We just uh, want to say, hey, we want to be a part of your guys' lives. I'm telling you.